0: to virtual beer podcast grab an online drink with fellow creatives
1: virtualbeerpodcast.com
0: welcome to the podcast i'm jan and today i'm having a virtual beer with oliver j hughes Oliver is a composer, audio professional, YouTuber, and filmmaker based in Kansas City. In January, he released a short documentary titled Overlooked – How Immigrants Are Saving Our Cities from the Inside Out. And he already has some other documentary projects in the works. In this podcast, we're discussing the creative process finding the best time to pivot, and how YouTube can help you along the way. And if you're just starting to create content yourself, we'll give you quick and easy tips to get better audio in your videos. Well, Oliver, welcome to the show. What's it like in Kansas City, and how's the lockdown treating you so far?
1: You know, it is a beautiful day in Kansas City. It's about 65 and breezy with the sun out, which is really nice, How's the lockdown treating me? You know, that is a very loaded question, but I think I'm handling it decently well. It's taken me a solid month to kind of adjust to this new lifestyle of not having work and doubting my entire existence. (laughs) One part of me is like,
0: I don't want them to lift the lockdown because I think I'm just getting the hang of it.
1: Exactly. There have been some net positives. Um, there's been plenty of time for me to just sit and think, which usually I try to avoid because who knows what's down in there. But during this lockdown, it's been nice to like find some things down there and be like, oh, cool, I would have never come up with that if it wasn't for all this space. So uh, in some strange, weird turn of events, I'm homeschooling my children while my exing wife makes all the money. And yeah, and the government just paid me some money so that was nice. <laughs> it's just a weird thing, yeah. man.
0: Yeah, things you didn't expect to say like a couple of months ago are basically the only things that are happening right now.
1: What are we drinking? Well, I'm going to be drinking an American classic even though I think it's German owned now or uh, Belgian owned. I'm not sure who owns Anheuser-Busch, but I'm having a Budweiser cuz all my good beers were drank over the weekend and this is all I have left. It's not a bad beer. It's, it's a favorite of mine from the old days, so... I actually
0: don't remember if I had it, like, ever in my life. That
1: makes sense. If you're an American, <laughs> you have to have it before you get, like, your official citizenship. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when you turn 18.
0: I am having a very dark, very strong St. Bernardus. More than 10% ABV. Interesting. Very chocolatey and stuff. Uh, and because it's so, like, dark and strong and, and sweet, I love pairing it with, with cake, even though eating sugar and drinking a strong beer like this will make you drunk even faster. Ooh,
1: that sounds delicious, though. But yeah,
0: I do have a, a slice of cake uh, in front of me as well. So um, let's see how how, how that goes. <laughs> what
1: are we drinking to? What are we cheersing to? So many things we could cheers to. I think we should cheers to creativity. Because that's something that no sickness can take away from us unless we just die. So we all still have that.
0: Okay, I'll drink to that. <laughs> cheers. Virtual beer.: OK, so Oliver, you are a musician, a composer, a filmmaker, a sound guy, a YouTuber. You're also one of the rare few people who had blocked me on Instagram at some point, so I' um, never going to forget that. <laughs> yeah, I think
1: that makes sense. It all started with a Fiverr deal that went bad for me. It was a promotion. It was it was a stupid deal. This was like probably like four years ago when I was feeling like, oh, I need I need some clout. I need something. How do I get ahead? And yeah. <laughs> I was getting strategic. And it was one of those things where you like buy a bot system to help get you to like other people's posts and follow other people automatically.
0: Which can definitely work if you set it up right. Right.
1: But it's it's so overused and I hate it nowadays. Like it's the dumbest thing ever. I would never do it again. But anyway, I didn't like the frequency at which this was happening. And so I complained to the guy and I left him a bad review, which apparently I was new to Fiverr. That's a big deal to leave a bad review on Fiverr because like, they're like, if you have any issues, please talk to me directly. Like I need to keep my five stars. And so I guess as punishment, this guy deleted his account and I immediately woke up with like 5,000 new followers that were all spam. I assume because he was mad at me. So I was like, well, now I look like the ultimate dumbass because I was paying for something shady and now I have 5,000 brand new followers overnight. And I have something even shadier. <laughs> right. So I was like, okay, what the hell do I do? I Googled and I found this auto bot blocker and I used it. <laughs> and it slowly started blocking every bot that followed me, including Jam. Oh my God.
0: Okay. Okay. That's so fucking weird. <laughs>
1: I know, and then you like sent me a message. You were like, "Hey, I think that I'm blocked," and I was like, "Oh God, I'm sorry." <laughs>
0: As I said, you are uh, doing a lot of things and like similar, but distinct fields nonetheless. So what would you say are the, the main things you do professionally or the main things you you aspire to?
1: Well, at the at the current moment, pre-coronavirus uh, outbreak, I my main was commercial production on a freelance scale. Meaning I get hired by a brand or a company and I make them internal videos marketing videos story videos something to help them sell their products or share their process or teach their employees and in 2019 that was about 85 percent of my total income was going out creating stuff for businesses and brands and making them videos.
0: but if i remember correctly originally you actually started as a musician and uh, lately you've been putting out documentaries how does it all like fit what was the genesis of Oliver J. Hughes.
1: That's a great question. I received a great tip from a friend of mine who's really good at like marketing thinking and thinking about how to brand yourself. It was 2016 and I was two and a half years into my young filmmaking career and I was feeling pretty stuck and pigeonholed. I had just done a bunch of free videos for nonprofits in my city which were special to me because I love the stories that people are telling and the things people are doing to help our community, but none of those paid any money. And so I got stuck in this pigeonhole of people being like, oh, Oliver's a nonprofit guy. Yeah, let's hire him. He made a great video for this one. Oh, we don't have a budget, but can you please do it? We'll let you sit at a panel at our little event, and maybe even put your face on the wall. And I was like, no, help. I need help. I don't like this at all. And so my buddy was like, hey, you should start a YouTube channel and make like Tutorials, share some of your expertise, and kind of just like extract yourself out and brand yourself as more of a profit, for profit business type guy. And I was like, well, that's cool. I follow guys like Casey Neistat, and like, he's all I know of YouTube, and I used to hate YouTube. And he's like a cool guy that does cool stuff, and maybe I could do something like that. And so, anyway, I started January 2017 just making like tutorials, gear reviews, the standard type thing, but it was all filmmaking, it wasn't just audio. And uh, the first video that actually got me some subscribers was my GH5 review. I did a review on the camera right when it came out. And it gave me like 200 new subscribers, which was a huge deal because I had three. And one was my mom. And so it was a big deal to get that many and so I think the audio thing just slowly kind of evolved and became what people drew their most value from. And so I just tried to adapt and run with that And because and, uh, I love audio and I do run sound on set every once in a while. I do a lot of post-production sound work. So I have that expertise and uh, it just worked. And here we are. And now I'm kind of weaseling my way out of audio and into documentary filmmaking or, I don't know, more lifestyle brand type stuff right under everyone's nose and no one even knows it. So... How do you know
0: when is the right time to switch to something else?
1: Man, that is such a good question. I don't know if there's a way to know. For me, it's such a a gut thing. Like, I mean, there's some external things like, okay, this doesn't make any money. Maybe this isn't my deal. And for me, that was composing, writing music for film, working with an agency in Portland. That was like, I wanted that so bad in 2015 when I first started doing it. And I made... Great passive income for two years and then it just tanked. That's a good pivot point when there's like some external things. But for me, man, it's just guts. Like I just don't get much life anymore talking about audio for some reason and i love it and i listen on my neurophones every <laughs> single night you know and when i play red dead redemption i got my sennheiser hd 650s through my rnhp neve headphone amp and i love that stuff don't get me wrong
0: but he doesn't want to talk about
1: it anymore yeah i'm like i'm done <laughs> talking about it like can we move on like let's tell some cool stories and make some docu's
0: i mean there's always something you will yeah i still see you as a bit of an audio influencer basically uh whenever i'm thinking about a piece of gear i'm like hmm let's see if oliver mentioned anything about it i think the last thing i actually bought because well not really because you told me to but uh i was debating whether i should get the airpods believe it or not and i'm like i expected them to sound like the generic apple earbuds you know I only expected them to be wireless right and then I was like okay maybe I shouldn't go for something like as ubiquitous or as hyped up and then I was starting like doing research what other wireless earbuds are there and then I see a story like you know what's a great earbud (laughs) I'm like okay cool if it's good enough for him it's gonna be good enough for me
1: did you hear that apple you owe me 10% of that purchase apple
0: I discovered you on YouTube around the time you made the, the audio compression tutorial, and I was like, "Oh damn, this guy just explained compressors on a whiteboard <laughs> or
1: whatever that was. Yeah. <laughs> it was a piece of paper.
0: <laughs> and I actually sent that video to people whenever they asked me about compression I was just, ah, it's fine. Just just watch this, you know <laughs> That's incredible. I follow a lot of people on YouTube who posted tutorials when they started to gain initial traction and then pivoted into something else, do you think tutorials are the way to go on YouTube? Should I be posting tutorials, basically? Yes.
1: I don't think that'll ever go away because of the inherent incredible value that a tutorial brings. I mean, literally the other day, I bought this new uh, taillight for my truck that I thought looked cooler. And I had no idea how to install this thing, but I go to YouTube, put in the keywords, and there's like 15 tutorials of people making like auto... You know, society is on the backs of YouTube tutorials, so yes. I don't think that'll ever go But away.
0: do you think that there are areas within the tutorial space that are oversaturated
1: already? I mean, it's one of those things where I think value and uniqueness kind of come together in a good tutorial. And if you're not getting much traction, maybe you're missing one of those elements. Personality is a huge piece of a tutorial. There are tutorials that have great information that I've clicked off of because I like, can't stand. But they
0: are effectively just slideshows. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I've it's seen like, some, some tutorials like that. Yeah. yeah,
1: you're reading the spec sheet and I can do this myself. Like, I want to hear your opinions. I want to hear like your passion about it. I want to hear why you hate this thing or why you love this thing. So I, I think there's that kind of uniqueness that comes to the table just you being you. Um and yeah, photography, video stuff, very saturated. But that doesn't mean that you can't bring value period. Is
0: there a danger of people who follow you because of your tutorials? stopping following you when you stop posting tutorials i've heard people complaining about like peter mckinnon how he used to do tutorials that were actually decent and now it's just like coffee slow motion or oh look a mountain shot with a red well
1: personally and this is probably highly personal and may not be regarded by the gods of youtube that know what they're talking about that i've learned from like the sean candles for the world the daryl leaves the Tim Schmoyer, these gurus that that tell you how to do YouTube, Roberto Blake, guys like that. But I love watching people grow and change. Like. I still watch Peter McKinnon stuff because I have been invested now in Peter McKinnon. And yeah, I do kind of throw up in my mouth at a lot of his modern stuff because it feels like super chummy, like low hanging fruit. Like he knows people are just going to like masturbate all over themselves when they see his beautiful pictures of stupid coffee. And I'm like, come on, man. Like he's just milking. He's milking his fan base and that's okay because he can't, but he also is making an Angels and Airwaves documentary. And I saw a clip from that and it's like phenomenal. Angels and Airwaves is a is a big band that Blink-182 dissolved into in the late uh, 90s and 2000s. And Tom DeLonge is this frontman of the band and they got back together and they hired Pete to make their documentary. It's like a big deal. Like, you know, borderline Hollywood-style documentary. And it's like from what I've seen, his talents are amazing. And of course, he's grown to that. And it's fun to watch people grow and change. I like that kind of aspect of change. And if I don't, then yeah, I'll unsubscribe. And cool, people have done that with me a lot. Like I I brought in a a big contingent of, I feel like right-wing, kind of Christian, evangelical style people into my channel when I first started. How? Well, first of all, I think it was people I was connected to. And I had this whole series of getting back into music. And I talked very deeply about spirituality and that Series And I think that people hear something like that and they're like, oh, cool. He's on our team. And so they all show up and they're like, yeah, we're for you. And then suddenly I start releasing stuff that's a little too edgy for them. And I read the comments of like, cool, I unsub. Like, damn, like this is, if you don't like it, you shouldn't sub anyway. Because I'm not looking for numbers. I'm looking for the community and you know that's where it works is the engagement so like i mean on the other hand there's no bad publicity you know even a hate comment is a comment exactly <laughs> and when i released my uh mini doc in january about immigration it does tend to lean a little bit more liberal because it's about affirming humans which is a hard thing for the right wing to do and uh didn't mean to just jab but i just jabbed anyway and so i get all these comments really negative and they share it and they're negative about it and i'm like thank you For the engagement, like you're helping YouTube (laughs) get this thing out there. Man, if somebody wrote a hit piece like about me, that'd be the greatest thing that happened in my entire life. Do you know Curtis Judd? He does a bunch of audio tutorials, audio gear reviews. I've I've followed him for like six or seven years. He helped me, you know, buy his videos, just like you're saying, buy a lot of the early gear that I use to start filmmaking, podcast, all that stuff. And he hasn't changed one bit. And that's the greatest thing ever. It's just totally his brand to be like incredibly informative with some strange quirky dry humor just barely squeaked into all the incredibly well illustrated bullet points of what things do. He's got his brand and he's going for it. And it's been six years of the same stuff in the best way.
0: Maybe maybe the the thing is that you also shouldn't separate your personal brands into several smaller brands, which is what I'm struggling with currently. Like I have a food blog, but I, I'm also doing this podcast, but I also make videos and take photos and I teach and I used to do photo walks for tourists and stuff and like I'm just tired of like maintaining so many different
1: aspects of my personality online maybe they should all just like merge together and like right this is something I am exploring right with you because I've heard so many different opinions about it guys like Roberto Blake say yes you need to start multiple channels just to stay on brand to keep your following Sean Cannell saying no you don't need multiple channels you just need one channel with different shows so people know what show is coming what week and that's kind of where I'm at right now, but then this all hit and I lost my schedule and my mind all at the same time and that didn't work out. But I do think you can have a greater reach if you combine your three or four smaller reaches together. Well, and because the initial growth point is always the exponentially the hardest. To get a thousand followers in, on any platform is absolutely the hardest. And so if you're trying to do that with three different accounts, with three separate things, that's a lot harder than putting it all together. Coming right up, tips for all of you who have just
0: bought your first microphones and are asking, okay, now what? Also, recently Lady Gaga has posted a photo where she sings into the wrong side of a microphone. What? If you like this podcast, please subscribe to it anywhere you get your podcasts and be on the lookout for a bonus episode. VirtualBeerPodcast.com As we're recording this, it is the 21st of April and the most of the world I'd say is still under lockdown. And while staying on top of the 24 hour news cycle is absolutely exhausting. Everybody seems to be
1: streaming. People like really doubling down and embracing online content, streaming, the access to making quality content with the tiny tools that we carry around every single day. And I think that's a net positive for everybody. Except for us filmmakers that have a fancy gear that we want you to pay us for to come use our fancy gear and your stupid iPhone looks just as good.
0: It really depends on on, on the light. I actually wanted to talk about sound. It seems that even though our devices are getting better at just capturing good looking video, if you give them the right conditions, sound is a trickier thing to master. I was hoping we can give our listeners some easy-to-follow pointers for getting better sound in their videos without using any big words. (laughs) Deal. My first tip is, it's better to have a microphone visible and have good sound than to hide your microphone and have crappy sound. Yes. I know you're a big proponent of shotguns, but I think they also confuse people. They do. Because, like, you know, everybody seeing movies or TV shows, whatever, usually don't see microphones there. And then somehow they think that they can either get away with, like, not having a microphone at all or just, like, hiding it in a random place. I did. I worked with a, with a nonprofit here a couple of years ago. They had some limited gear, a couple of cameras, and the sound recorder. I think it was a, a Tascam but they were so into hiding that sound recorder in places. And I don't think I ever managed to explain to them that if you're filming two people talking, but you're hiding the sound recorder in a potted plant behind them, it's not going to sound good. (laughs)
1: That's like... Hollywood magic style stuff. And your mic isn't good enough to hide in a plane anyway. You need like a $7,000 mic to pull that off. (laughs) Definitely.
0: And you know, some people are like also shying away from lapel mics. I usually tell people if you're just like starting out, you don't want to get a shotgun because also shotguns are another thing to set up, especially if you want them off camera. Getting a lapel mic that you can, I don't know, plug into your phone or something is perfectly fine. They're like, oh no, but then the mic is going to be visible. I'm like, That's not a bad thing. That means you're doing it
1: right. Well, and I I think I've told a lot of people, like, leverage your AirPods. Cool, you're doing a live stream. You're recording your own home YouTube video. Put your AirPods in. There's a mic right here. It's going to be a lot closer to your mouth than your phone is, and you won't get near as much of that nasty roominess that we all hate, or maybe just I hate. But I know other people that hate it, where it's just, like, ringy, and it's like, stop. Like those cheap ads that, like, Honey or these other Chrome extensions play all the time or it's some schmuck in his kitchen talking about something it's like i have to click off every time because the audio is so bad maybe that's just me but anyway airpods can help but
0: are they really that good
1: no but that that's the proximity idea of like the closer it is to your to your source the better it's going to be And if you have your AirPods or even the wired ones with a mic right here, it's better than... The wired ones are, I think, better because AirPods tend
0: to get buggy and like funky every once in a while. But with the wired ones, you can literally have the microphone right next to your mouth.
1: Right. And it's true analog, so you're not going to mess with the Bluetooth signal like you're saying. It's not going to get weird and crackalacky and interference. It's just a mic right there, which is really, really valuable.
0: Which leads to probably my second piece of advice, and that is be reasonably close to your microphone. (laughs) I've seen people uh, buying those um, very small shotguns for their phones and stuff, or even like for their cameras. And then every once in a while I get a question like, okay, I bought this mic, but if I stand, I don't know. 20 meters away nobody can hear me and i'm like well it's a microphone
1: it's not a magic wand well and last year around this exact time i was in salt lake city with moment lenses and i was helping them plug the shure mv88 plus which is a mid-side or stereo microphone for your phone and like here i am like pushing this product before i was even told that i was gonna be pushing it and i was like actually i don't really believe in this I mean, it helps a lot with wind protection because you actually have something to protect the mics. It gives you a windscreen, which with phones you don't. They're digital and uh, trying to eliminate wind rustle does not work at all. But if you're trying to record mono dialogue from a phone, there is no need for an external microphone because it's not going to help unless like what we're talking about, you're way close. Another very important thing, whatever
0: gear you have, read the fucking manual. I'm so frustrated when I see podcasters getting a uh, blue yeti yeti from blue microphones, and then speaking into the top of it, and that's not where the capsules are. Yeah,
1: like they get it, they point it down when the capsules are coming from the sides on that one. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And yeah. then it basically just picks up the room noise and stuff, <laughs> yeah. and it's super frustrating for me because uh, I, I ran and and oversaw an, an online radio project in Serbia. In 2014, and actually a Yeti from Blue Microphones was was my main production mic, you know, for all the station IDs and pre-recorded shows and stuff. Drone radio, drone radio. And I also did a lot of freelance voiceover work with it, and I know what's it capable of. And then seeing people pointing it to their desk and talking to the wrong side of it right and
1: yeah with that one you can also like even change the pickup pattern as long as you know what you're doing but that doesn't mean much if you don't know where it even is so i'm that annoying
0: person if i see a podcaster posting like tweeting or posting an instagram story and i notice
1: that they're using it wrong i just send them a screenshot from the manual (laughs) there's nothing wrong with that i had a, a comment last year on my studio monitors i have these eight inch jbl monitors i use in the monitoring room and i have them on their sides because i wanted to try to spread out the sound and it just made more sense for the setup i had and i had this guy comment that he was like dude not only is your dispersion way off because they were designed to be standing up tall and like that's how the high frequencies are supposed to work, but you're slowly breaking them over time because they're never meant to be like this. <laughs> I was like, well, shit. And I turned it back upright, and I appreciated that comment. I was like, yeah, I didn't read the manual. I just bought these things and threw them up there.
0: Okay, interesting. And um, Lady Gaga, how do you think uh, a person as big as she is can sing
1: into the wrong side of the mic? Because she wasn't singing. She was taking a photo for Instagram. That's the only explanation. Right. No, No sound engineer is that stupid. Okay. Especially one of her caliber. She was not singing. She was taking a glamour shot.
0: Okay, that makes a lot of sense because
1: yeah, it's like there's no other explanation. <laughs>
0: okay, <laughs> I was not. I was really sad. I'm like I'm here like trying to tell people to not use a podcasting microphone in the wrong way, and then if Lady Gaga can pull it off, like who cares? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Can you give our listeners any pointers uh, for post production when it comes to audio? But don't go too complicated. Just what are the things
1: that people should begin with? Thank you for that parameter for me, because I tend to ramble in some crazy stuff that only I understand. And maybe I don't even understand it.
0: I mean, I worked in, in, in radio for 10 years, so I will know what you're talking about. But...
1: Well, without getting too high level, the three most important tools are compressors, EQs, and limiters. Because you're messing with the dynamic range, the EQ spectrum and then the loudness slash peaks at the very end of your signal. And those three things can make a pretty decent signal. And without getting too in depth, I would always put the compressor first, just use stock settings, see if it sounds different. If it doesn't, mess with stuff. EQ, you know, people don't really like that muddy sound. We like warm sounds, but not muddy sounds. EQ helps with that. And then a limiter will boost up your volume without clipping your signal or help you hit target loudness if you have target loudness needs. But if you've got target loudness needs, probably you're going to be using some more in depth tools anyway. But those three will take you a long way, even if you just use the stock settings right out of the box in whatever program you're using.
0: Virtual beer. Which creators on YouTube would you point out as good examples and which are the bad examples in terms of how good is their sound quality? Because I also noticed that some people use really good equipment, but they don't really do anything with it. For example, Sarah Dietschy frustrates me every fucking time. She uses
1: equipment that's like so decent and yet it sounds so mediocre. You know, I when, when she started I'm a I'm a big fan of hers and whenever she started her little podcast, I remember when she went to B and H in one of her episodes and bought a couple seven B's and Cloudlifters, and I was like, hell yeah, you know what's up. Like getting excited about it. But then like the way she will record them. Which kind of blows my mind on so many levels. She chooses to bring a laptop with Audition and an audio interface and then her preamps and then her mics instead of just using a field recorder. I don't understand why people do that, but whatever. Be that as it may. But then no one wears headphones and they hold the mics, you know, they're like a foot and a half, maybe two feet away from the mic, which is so fine for a shotgun. But this is not a shotgun. And people criticize me for talking too close into this, but I talk too close into it cuz I like how deep it makes my voice sound because I'm insecure about my own voice, believe it or not. What should I say? But like from from here to here, it's going to be it's going to be like no big deal, but then if you're talking all the way out here, yep. you're here in the room now. And that's what she does and I, you know, I I can't fault her for it. I let it be cuz content over quality always for the most part. Yeah, totally. Like, especially on YouTube. But for example,
0: just like, I don't know, given the equipment I see on on, on screen, if, when I watch her
1: videos, the way it actually sounds doesn't measure up. Right. But like, she's a good example of like, she's a kid, man. She's, she's like 25, 24 even. And, you know, she's been doing this stuff professionally for a long time. And she probably gets so much bullshit online for just being a cute woman. And she doesn't listen to any comments for good reason. So I'm like, Sarah, just go get it. Like, you're crushing. Just go get it. So anyway, who has
0: good sound? Who has bad sound?
1: The the first guy that even gave me the idea that YouTube was an option was, was good old Casey Neistat. And he's notoriously done auto settings on everything. And so his videos can be semi-obnoxious to listen to. And talk about somebody who goes loud. Like, I don't know if he knows what mastering is, but like his videos are always so freaking loud. And like, you gotta like just turn it back. And you can hear the in-camera or in-mic compression when he's like, Filming his hands touching things. It's like so intense and rich and right in your face. Like the camera's trying so hard to hold that sound back because it's clipping so bad. In case he never fades his audio, so tons of clicks and pops and stuff and no regard for any of that. But it's again, it's ignorance and I can't blame him for it because like he's never learned. Like I, I probably have people critique the hell out of my visual style because I'm just still learning that aspect of filmmaking. But yeah, his has always been kind of like that. I love the way he emotes in his videos he's great ear for music and moments but the audio could use some work the guy like him where content is everything go get it like you're doing great your stuff is totally adequate and stories are great filmmaking's great we love it and then you know there's old Petey mckinnon who always surprises me with his audio to be honest like he gave me an idea uh, with vlog mics that i've never seen anyone else do that made me think that he's pretty sound minded or just overall really quality minded or he was doing like a hotel room tour for some trip he was on speaking at something. And while he did the tour, he flipped his video mic Pro backwards so that he's holding the camera filming the hotel and you're getting a really clean pickup of his mouth where you don't get that muffled behind mic sound. I was like, Pete, that's brilliant. He didn't even say anything about it. He just walked into the, the bathroom and you could see the mic backwards. And I was like, from this moment on, I will always turn my mic backwards while I'm filming things because I didn't even think of that. But the other thing about him is not necessarily a mix Guy Peter, I mean, he's an incredible visual storyteller, but he uses foley a lot, and a lot of creators that get on YouTube don't. He puts a lot of sound effects into his work, and that's very impressive to me. So, it's a lost art, man, of, of the the power of audio storytelling.
0: And it's something that you don't necessarily notice. You know, visuals will always be like in your face and stuff. Foley is not something you will notice. But yeah, that is a great way to to tell a story or to help telling a story. And for the uninitiated, what are we talking about? Fully is simply the
1: sounds of what you're seeing on screen, no matter where it comes from.
0: But they don't have to be recorded at the same time. Nope. Nor at the same place. Nope. They don't even have to be in the same world. Big Hollywood productions literally... Commission Foley from Foley Artists which is a whole separate craft and it's just a bunch of people in big studios creating your sound effects by using practical means yeah and it's (laughs) just
1: totally it's dark magic that's all it is because there's no rhyme or reason to it there are really no rules if it works it works (laughs) no matter what it is i'm gonna use this bucket of water and make it sound like a
0: frog or
1: whatever (laughs) i mean i was i was doing a spec piece for uh a friend of mine and we did this production it was like a boxing piece and the the uh nat sound i picked up on set was terrible like i had my regular old shotgun into my f8 setup, what i always use and hearing a guy punching a bag sounded so weak and so sad And so I ended up like beating the shit out of a bunch of blankets on the floor with a metal pole, (laughs) and that recording sounded dope. And that was all you heard in the piece (laughs) was me beating up blankets. You'd never know it though.
0: We talked a lot more about sound, so be on the lookout for a bonus episode where you'll hear even more about audio on YouTube and where I'll play you examples of different post-processing techniques. But for now, we're going back to creativity. The track we're listening to is Journey by Oliver J. Hughes. Do you have any advice for people who are just starting with something, be it a YouTube channel, a podcast, maybe they're writing a blog or whatever? uh, Do you have any advice for that? Well,
1: honestly, the first thing that comes to mind is like, we're all online, we're all following other creators and creatives, and don't beat yourself up if you don't make stuff all the time during this shit. Because the, the being locked indoors, the losing work, the losing revenue... I don't know about you, but I have seen so much content on like, yeah, use this time to optimize, like make more, do more. And I'm honestly like, man, fuck you. (laughs) Like we're all slowing down and that's okay. If it's a mental health thing, that's okay. Because you need to be in that flow state to make stuff. And if you can't get there, you shouldn't be forcing it. So like I've learned to give myself just a ton of leeway and a ton of grace around how much I'm actually putting out. And I feel like that's freed me up to like stop feeling bad about like, oh man, I was weekly and now I'm like once every two weeks, maybe once a month at this point on YouTube or... But
0: are you not concerned
1: about the numbers? I am concerned about the numbers. And um, this whole pandemic situation has allowed me to kind of externalize that for a bit and be like, you know what? I need to be making what is bringing me life at the moment. And if people don't like it, (laughs) I'm going to have to deal with that later, I guess. (laughs) So, But yeah, and you know, the thing I always say that has always brought me goodness is like, if you're not feeling it, on the other hand, you got to do it anyway, if you want to make stuff, we'll sit on stuff forever and try to make it perfect and make it right. But you just have to do it and like hit that threshold of what's good enough for you and then get it out and move on. Because like we get better and more ideas from reps, from doing more, actually creating more Than sitting back and waiting for that perfect idea to come out perfectly, because that's a fallacy, in my opinion. I I released a a single a couple of months ago. Uh, I decided the only way to
0: call it done was to put it on streaming services, because otherwise I will just stare at the project for another year and it doesn't make sense. This one song I'm working on now is certainly not gonna be my life's work, therefore, I don't wanna sit on it for five years to make it perfect like i want to do it see what was wrong with it
1: and then do something else something better and not take it down when you see what's wrong with it and that's i think a big piece too is like learning to accept your work as it is is a huge growth piece for me personally because i have so many pieces of music specifically that i wrote and produced in 2014 2015 that i'm like deeply ashamed of i think they sound terrible like There's a kick drum in one of these pieces that sounds like a sack of potatoes falling on the kitchen floor, it's that bad. (laughs) but like it's out there and it will remain out there because look how far i've come what well, you can say you can always say that it was an actual
0: sack of potatoes falling on the kitchen floor well that you recorded and see, that's like, i wish it was <laughs> purposefully for the track because it simple symbolizes something you
1: know <laughs> right and well yeah i spin my bullshit all the time when you need to spin your bullshit but in that case it's like yeah that song was just shitty and it's over and it's okay, and it still licenses every once in a while, and I'm like embarrassed that my name's on it. But it's the same with YouTube, because you keep creating these videos, and I'll look back on old tutorials, that I'm like, God, this pacing is terrible, the framing is bad, how do people even get anything from this? But I'm not taking them down, because they're evidence of the process, and at the end of the day, the most important thing is that process. Because there is no final product, in my opinion.
0: With YouTube, I think that's my, my biggest um struggle i will record a cooking video and then just sit on it for six months to like edit it the best i can and i'm like why the fuck i could have made like five other videos in this time at least like if i'm doing once a month
1: (laughs) yeah chasing that perfect unicorn is just the worst thing you can do but it's it's also the tragedy of being a creative because like it goes against our very lifeblood of making quality good things there's a, one of my favorite pieces that I'd love to just share as I guess, advice or whatever is uh, Ira Glass. He's an NPR host uh, for This American Life, which is a really popular show. He was doing this workshop one time and it was recorded and he was talking about the gap. Like there is consistently, all of us who get into the creative game, he's talking about creative writing specifically, but it really goes across all genres of creativity. We get into this game because we have killer taste. Like we can pick out that piece of music and why it's so freaking good or that film or that sound or whatever it is you're doing, but you realize right when you get into it professionally is you don't have the ability to get to that level. And that's an agony as a creative of like, I know what my taste is and I know what my ability is and there's a massive chasm between the two and I feel like quitting. And he was like, the only way to close that gap is consistent work over time, more, more reps, keep going, keep going painfully realizing that your work isn't as good as what you can perceive and continuing. And he was like, and and guess what? Even as that gap starts to close, your taste gets even better and more fine and more refined. And you just are always chasing that for the rest of life. And so if your goal is to get there, you're going to be miserable and you will burn out and you will quit. But if you commit to the process, you yourself are the art behind everything that you make. And let that process be there. Then boom, like that's like the whole mindset shift that had to happen in me. And I was so thankful yeah. to hear that a couple of years ago because I was on the verge of burning out again. Because I burn out all the time. I feel like it's like God, what I make is shitty.
0: <laughs> As I was finishing my first single, I hate that word. Uh, it makes it sound so official. Like I'm just a dude making music on my iMac. I don't even have like a MIDI keyboard. I use an iPad. Yeah, and.
1: <laughs> You were finishing your first single, period.
0: Yeah, so I was finishing my first single and I was getting like frustrated with the whole like mixing process. I don't think the mix is too good on it, let's be honest. But then I Googled for like tips and tricks and whatever and I saw a quote from like a big time music producer. I forgot his name, but apparently somebody famous, uh, when they asked him, How do you know that a mix is done? He answered, "I look at my watch. <laughs> <That's>, yeah, because <laughs> like you can sit here indefinitely, but if you want to crank it out by tomorrow at three,
1: just tomorrow at three, you, you stop working and, and that's it. So." Well, that reminds me too of a some author that came and spoke at my elementary school when I was a kid, and he was like, "I never read my books after they're published because there's too much wrong with them." And I was like, "Dude, there's some wisdom in that. Not like avoid what you've done, but like." the point is it's never done and the better you get the more you'll critique what you did you know
0: okay so um where can people find you online so
1: oliver j hughes is where you can find it all youtube twitter instagram is just oliver hughes and that's basically where you'll find all my stuff vimeo is going to be the more professionally produced stuff that not a lot of people are interested in unless you want to hire me so youtube twitter instagram that's my jam Okay, what are your websites? Well, Inavant Creative is uh, my production company, E-N-A-V-A-N-T, Inavant, which is French for onward. And I love that idea of like moving onward. Disney just released a movie. There will be a link in the description for all the people who don't speak French like me. Right, And uh, that's going to be all my professional production. And then just simply OliverJHughes.com tries to encapsulate everything else uh, into one place. This was Virtual Beer, episode 2. You can find the show notes
0: at virtualbeerpodcast.com If you'd like to support the show, please subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher or anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also support me by fueling me with caffeine with a one-off donation at ko-fi.com slash arsinovic That's K O dash fi.com slash a-r-s-e-n-o-v-i-c link in the show notes thanks for listening
1: virtual beer okay here i'm popping oh man i botched the pop (laughs) what else is new in quarantine